This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's path with an S. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Thanks for Sharing Podcast. I'm Jackie P. I'm John T. Today, we have a guest with us on our show, Dr. Ken Adams, who's up in the Michigan area. Welcome, Ken. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, so Ken is, is pretty well known in the CSAT community. He, he's involved in training potential CSATs as they're working on their certification. And you've done a lot of work. You've been in the field for a long time. But we specifically asked you to come on and talk about your work with Mother Enmeshed Men. Mm-hmm. You've got a couple of books, um, Married to Mom, Silently Seduced. Those are both out and available on Amazon and wherever you buy books. Um, but let's talk a little bit about what that means. How do you define mother enmeshment? So, yes. So enmeshment, um, the, the topic uh, comes um, uh, largely from the family system folks, for those of uh, your listeners who have gone to graduate school to become a therapist. And so the the uh, family system therapist identified uh, different uh, family dysfunctions and family functions that uh, the way a family functions that would produce difficulties in people. So they talked about uh, disengaged families, families that were not very close, but they also talked about families that were too close mm-hmm. families that were, uh, that did not permit separateness between family members. They viewed separate time as disloyal um, and so this, and so the, those uh, children and later adults would have a difficult time emancipating and becoming their own man or their own woman. And then take, they take that sort of uh, uh, enmeshed uh, relationship with the family or the parent into their romantic relationships where it causes a lot of difficulties mm-hmm. because the adult is often loyal to the family or the parent at so I, I began to take that concept and uh, look at it um, through the lens of the sex addiction. And I began to see, it, particularly in men, but not limited to men, but since we're talking about men, we'll stay there. Uh, a lot of the male sex addicts also, if they didn't come from the family systems that we've learned about with there was some sexual abuse, uh, not uncommon, they would come from a relationship with the parent, primarily their mother, in which they were over-involved, either as children or as adults. And their sex addiction seemed to uh, be a way to define their separateness and and reject the mother. The problem was is that the sex addiction wound up rejecting and injuring the wrong woman. Mm -hmm. They would get married, uh, for example, or get involved in a committed relationship and feel engulfed intruded on, uh, smothered, uh, and they would take those, those, those uh, characteristics of enmeshment that we see between mother and son, and they would transfer them uh, and fill them with their partner. And they would need to break away um, in the same way that they were trying to do with their mother. The problem was the loyalty bind with their mother was so great that they stayed doting on their mother while rejecting and um, projecting anger onto their spouse. Mm. 
So the spouse would become the object of who they felt they needed to get away from. And uh, so I began to do a lot of writing about that and because I began to see that over and over again, that, that dynamic in mm-hmm. a lot of sex addicts. And just to clarify, let me clarify. So sure. this is regardless of whether the spouse is actually being suffocating, this like the the man would feel that from her based on his relationship and connection with mom. Absolutely. So even a benign um, request to tell me what time you're coming home, mm-hmm. he experienced as engulfment and smothering. Uh, and while, while also, once there is mistrust and betrayal, it's not uncommon then for the spouse to ramp up her need out of anxiety for more um, reporting. Mm-hmm. And what the mother and mesh man will do. And, and we see this across the board, regardless of the dynamic, is that we tend to either pick people or we provoke people to reenact for us scenes from the past. And so we get some of these male enmeshed men who are also sex addicts provoking their wives to begin to act like their mothers. Okay. So it's, it's true and not true what you're saying. At some yes. point... At some point, they do indeed become too much, uh-huh. and then, and then, but then the die is cast. It is, then it's very difficult at that point, through no fault of her own, of course. Right. Um, but at that point, there is a crossover. So uh, he'll often point to her controlling behavior while doting on his mother, who remains mm. equal, if not more so, engulfing and demanding. In fact, in those cases, the mother may even. Um, competitively side with the, with the son and say, you know, you really shouldn't let her treat you that way. Mm. You know, what men do is, so she may begin to help sow the seeds of further rejection. So, so the answer to your question is, is, is it's not a simple yes or no. Right. Uh, yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. It's, it's been interesting in my work with uh, sex addicted men. Many of them will come to my office already equipped with the term enmeshment. And then they can even talk about it in a general way. But when we put the term mother and enmeshment together, uh, for the men who lived through that, um, it seems like it hits them in a really visceral way. I'm wondering if you could talk a little more about some of the, the differences in what you see in people presenting or, or coming to treatment with just like general family enmeshment issues and what specifically, what specifically happens for the man when he's enmeshed to mom. So yeah, so there can be family systems that have a lot of demands for loyalty and closeness and and view separateness as disloyal um and without one parent being necessarily the governance of that although mm. it isn't uncommon for one parent to be the authoritative uh, one who orchestrates that so uh, but one of the things we see that that's different or additional for the mother and mesh man assuming he's heterosexual is sometimes there's a sexualized um, component to it. In other words, that closeness feels almost like boyfriend-husband material for mm. the man. And so when I, when I run intensives for men uh, who have these enmeshment issues, we usually have a continuum. On one hand, we have men who are the classic caretaker of their mother, doting on her, worried about her health. Um, and he may or may not function as the sexualized boyfriend, historically. Mm. Uh, replacement father, husband, boyfriend figure. 
And then there's a percentage, probably of my of the over the so in the last handful of years, I've uh, seen a hundred men in my intensives. I'd say probably a third. Uh, these these are unscientific percentages, by the way. Function in the role of the sexualized boyfriend, mm. um, in which they take over the romantic position of the lover um, for the mother. You know, filling her loneliness, uh, going out to dinner with her. Mm-hmm getting dressed up, some very overt types of behavior short of physical sexual contact. Okay. Although we might also see some, in some cases, some crossing of boundaries, you know, where the, the sexualized relationship went, did indeed go further into physical sexual contact. But we have plenty of cases in, in these men's lives where they feel uh, sexualized mm-hmm. and they feel icky and they have a, as a result, they have an a, uh, ambivalent relationship to their sexuality. On one hand, very hypersexual, mm-hmm. uh, compulsive, addictive. A lot of the people you see willing to be um, able and willing to have lots of sex outside of committed experiences, you know, porn, affairs, prostitution, sh- uh, short-term relationships, one-night stands, anything that doesn't involve an emotional commitment, mm-hmm. they can be very hypersexual around but then with their committed partner who they might be, they might love, even find attractive, they find it difficult to be sexual because part of them is defending against the incestuous taboo mm. that, that wasn't recognized with the mother. So part, mm-hmm. of the, part of the work with the man in that case, different than the general enmeshment, is you've got to parse out that sexualized component um, without scaring him off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and also in making sure that it doesn't trespass and imply that somehow it's his fault, right? Yeah. This, is, this is no choice of his. Mm-hmm. He, did, he didn't bargain for this relationship. He didn't ask for it. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times, um, say, unlike overt sexual abuse survivors, which we have a, a more ready, sympathetic, united fault position, with these guys, these guys are often blamed, mm-hmm. uh, seen as mama's boys, um, the implications aren't as clear that they, they didn't, it's not their fault. But in fact, these guys didn't ask for this relationship. Mm-hmm. And so they can be very conflicted about romance and sexuality. Um, so on one hand, too, though, and what's confusing to women, if we're looking at heterosexuals, and it's not limited to heterosexuals, because I see it played out with gay men as well. And we've had gay men in our intensives, and the dynamics are uh, essentially identical with, mm-hmm. with, with few differences. Um, <clears throat> but so he, he might um, uh, be very able to, at first, um, really seduce, and I'll use the word seduce, not negatively, but just court a lover. Okay. He's very attentive. Um, and let get her feeling as if she's the one because the mother trained him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mother trained him to be a doting lover. And so in the initial phases of courtship and romance, the woman feels like, oh, my God, I found, you know, mm-hmm. uh, my knight in shining armor. He's treating me like nobody's ever treated me. The trouble is it's the beginning of a betrayal mm-hmm. because somebody's going to pay for his anger that he has stuck mm-hmm. in position. And it's not going to be mom. It's not going to be mom. Well, and that very connection, he's and that very. He's going to push her away. Yeah, yeah. and it's or that very. 
he's going to betray her. So that that's he's going to betray her almost nine out of ten times. Yeah. Because there has to, I'll get out of your way here, but there yeah. has to be a betrayal. The trouble is he's betraying the wrong woman. Yeah. So, and I'm using the word betrayal, um, it, not negatively. Almost what I'm saying is, is the son has to leave the mother. Yeah. The son has to say, I want a different woman, not you. Yeah. And the mother has to celebrate that in the normal developmental course, right? Right. When he moves out into the world and says, I have somebody else, it's not you. She mourns and grieves that loss along with the support of her husband. But she doesn't interfere with that. And eventually she celebrates that, mm -hmm. as, does, as does the father, right? And the father and the mother stay connected during that period of separation. Not just from her, of course, but also from the father as well. But in these domestic relationships, mother hangs on and the father abandons the, the deal. Mm -hmm. own um, with him while he runs off and has his affair or overworks or whatever he does. Mm -hmm. um, so he says, so eventually he needs to finish the emancipation project with a quote unquote betrayal. The trouble is he's betraying the wrong woman. Yeah. It's interesting as you're talking about the different components of that system, like it seems like the feedback loops in place intensify. Like when, when dad, leaves that situation either through his own affair or through workaholism, which I see a lot with my mother and mesh men. Um, and mom can't let go or celebrate that. You call it the emancipation of, of that emerging man and his pursuit of other women. Um, and then you've got the enmeshed man who um, it, it's actually the doting and the forming the bond that triggers his eventual betrayal. It's that I, I can't do this for too many people. Um, and then you mentioned earlier the the wife who, as she feels him distant, she's going to move in closer and she's going to want more accountability. It seems like everybody's natural reaction feeds this this monster. That's well put. That's right. Right now you have a closed feedback loop in which he needs to escape from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and and so one of the things one of the things we do in the enmeshment workshop that I, I run is uh, when I talk to these, when I screen these men, I say the focus of the workshop isn't to fix everything, it's to do one thing, it's to finish the emancipation and get mm -hmm. you to move away from the right woman. And it's astounding when I say that to them over the phone call screening, how quickly they sign up or run away. That's usually a deal killer or, or, or the other way around. Either or it seals the deal. Right, or, or they run away. <clears throat> It's a really effective screening tool. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. I, I wonder, um, so in, in somebody that I worked with recently, when we put mother and enmeshment together, I saw this level of rage and anger come out in him that I hadn't seen before. Um, and he moved to this place where he talked a lot about how the women in his life, his life had stolen his manhood. And, and for a while, he wanted to pursue this hyper-masculine course. Is that something that you see commonly yes absolutely so yeah so we we also tease and i'll say it this way since you've mentioned that we we help these men get denudered mm. uh. they do have they do many of them not all of course i mean there's you know as soon as you find the, the definition of this one man will have, or somebody will be have a variation on a theme but many of them feel neutered yeah mm. and and they feel neutered um, and they may project it onto all women, right? And they may either be subservient or submissive or feel as if they must accommodate. 
and then look very soft and passive and accommodating, even at even in a frustrating way for a partner, because there's no de- mm-hmm. there's no edge, there's no hard edge, there's no definition of self, which is mm-hmm. if you're around someone like that, can be very frustrating because you really don't know where they're at, yeah. or they can be hypermasculine, even rageful and violating of women. You know where they can mm-hmm. try to activate overpowering strategies. Um, you know, of course, at the extreme would be offending behaviors. Mm-hmm. You know, which there's no chance that, that they're going to be neutered or submissive to a woman. Now that's rare in this population, but we do see this sort of hypermasculine approach. And so what we do is we try to the the name of the game is to try to get them to see that the original relationship with mother is where the neutering occurred. Mm-hmm. There has to be some reclaiming of the self in her presence therapeutically. And sometimes literally. So we have guys who write letters to their mothers. They, they take time away. They set new boundaries. If the mother's alive, um, there has to be, um, there has to be a reconstruction of the contract. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it has to be from his terms. Has to be. There's no way around that. And it can't be a compromise. And a lot of these men want to compromise. Well, what if I, it's not possible. You have to start with a clear declaration that of who I am in relationship to you. And this is what I need. And then we can talk negotiation. But if they start with the compromise, then it's only going to fail. Right? Yeah. There's no... Mm-hmm. There's no compromise. And that's one of the hard things to, to get them on board with, even get therapists on board with, right? Because they're so worried that they're going to be rageful at the mother, which, of course, is not what we, we uh, when we do work with these guys. Which not, we're not encouraging the men to, to confront the mothers ragefully. But, in, but rather, you know, some of that has to be done therapeutically. Mm-hmm. But, um, but we, we, we are certainly encouraging a more adult, responsive position, yeah. um, which, which is very empowering. And it takes away the need to be hyper-masculine or, mm. or to have some bravado or to overpower or dominate the woman or the relationship. It starts to decrease that need if you can go back to the original source. Yeah. It almost uh, dries up that need for that overcompensating um, yeah. yeah. Here's the irony, right? We've got, so I'll just give you a sense. In our workshops, we'll have men who are very, very um, intensely enraged uh, about this history of turning themselves over. And that starts with the mother. And yes, they've done it in other relationships. But ironically, when they leave, they're, they're able to be more tender and vulnerable with the women in their lives. Because mm-hmm. we worry about that, right? When they leave, we don't want them transferring that edginess and anger to the woman that they're mm-hmm. connected with, right? So we work at the, at the end of the workshop to, to make sure we check in on that. And it's astounding to see what happens. We had, I had a story once, I'll never forget this man. <clears throat> I won't say too much because I want to protect his privacy, but, but he had been struggling to um, declare his loyalty to his uh, fiance, his girlfriend. I don't think they were engaged yet. And she was about ready to leave him, and he was still living in his mother's home, and there was a whole complicated layers and layers of enmeshment, plus surrogates. So there's always surrogates of mother that these men get involved. Mm-hmm. 
which can be work. It can be sisters. It can be brothers. It can be wives or girlfriends uh, that they've either provoked or picked that play out the, the, the deal for them. Um, so he, he left the workshop, and within six months, he, he, he had moved, sold the house, moved out of state, and became engaged to his. Wow. Wow. It was, it was just one of those one of those stories that um, is why you do the work. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You do the work. And so that really is the objective in the treatment is to help them to gather themselves in relation to have a corrective emotional experience in relationship to the original assault. I'm going to call it an assault on purpose because I think people don't like to see enmeshment uh, for what it is, or they just mm-hmm. stand it. Um, but it, it really is an assault on the self. The self is unable to develop, right? If a parent imposes too much of their own need, neediness in uh, demand for loyalty, there's no way for the self to separate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's just no way. And so you and- and that's that's part of when you were talking about I wanted to clarify for some of our listeners when you were saying a lot of these men feel denuded or neutered, right? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yes. That's um because of the assault, right? Like explain that process of how that happens, why they feel neutered. Well, so so at some point the event so we just take the the, the prototypical case, the abandonment and rejection by the father. Uh, the father gives up on the woman, the marriage, uh, because of his own issues and or because the mother strongly prefers the son over the father, mm-hmm. right? Which is another story, um, another dynamic. If you'll help me remember, I'll come back to it. <clears throat> so, um, and so what happens is, is that he's left with nobody but the mother. And so, and, and so she may be quite intrusive, and demanding for loyalty, and he feels um, that his best option is just to submit, mm. you know, to to do what she likes. Because after all, it feels good to be the prince. Mm-hmm. It feels good to be the elevated son, right? Over everybody else isn't getting the attention I'm getting. So there is a sort of um, uh, payoff, if you will, that he he feels that he's getting, but he doesn't have any choice, right? He can't help but feel. Uh, sorrowful of pity for his lonely mother. So she exploits that relationship and gets him to compromise his own wishes for separateness in the service of her needs for him not to go too far. Mm. And that is very disempowering for a young boy, any young girl, for a young boy to say, mommy, I have to leave you. And by the way, I'm also different than you. You're mm-hmm. female and I'm male. And so I have to separate and I have to differentiate my identity from you. But you won't let me. And so I'll stay and be a good boy. But mm-hmm. really, I'm angry with you mm-hmm. about this. I really want to go, I want to go ask the girl out across the room who I'm attracted to in middle school or whatever, but I don't dare because I can't leave you at home or I'm too anxious to do that, and I don't know why I'm so anxious. So he's disempowered to follow his own wishes. And instead, begins to identify with the caretaking son, the dutiful, sweet boy mm-hmm. who, who does not leave his mother's side. So he becomes very sweet mm-hmm. 
very caring, very over-identified and over-developed with his empathic self at a cost to his ability to say, enough of that empathy for you, I'm giving it to me. Mm -hmm. So he can't do that. Yeah. He can't. And if he does do it, he does it out of rage or betrayal or injury to others um, in his knee-jerk aggressive reaction not to get trapped again. Yeah. So that's what the partners and spouses are up, are up against this. Uh, on one hand, this person they fell in love with who's very caring, but what they don't realize is that that, that came with the price that they're going to have to pay for. Right. Because he didn't yeah. own his own empathy. Mom owned his empathy. Right. So when exactly. he's, when he starts to, yes. Yeah. yeah. So when he starts to emancipate and starts to own his empathy, that's where you were saying, then he can go back and actually be loving and nurturing appropriately with his partner. Precisely. Precisely. Yeah. So he has to go back and do his differentiate. We've had guys go back to their mothers and say, I no longer accept your version of my father. Mm. Which is a powerful statement. We've had people say that, either in a letter uh, or email or directly to the mother. I'm not accepting your version of my father. You, yeah. put him, you put him down to keep me close to you. I'm not going to let that happen again. Mm. So that kind of shift in the contract and even that type of statement, if it was true for him, frees him. Can you yeah. imagine the freedom he gets in many places in his identity and leaves him more available to his commitments in his adult life that he needs to learn to be loyal to? Is that he's able to say to mom, I'm not in cahoots with you anymore against the old man. Forget it. Yeah. yeah. I'm not your dedicated lover. I'm out. You deal with him. And furthermore, I'm going to have a relationship with him independent of you. Yeah. Now we have a man rather than an empathic little boy who's going to compromise for his mother. I, I think that language, uh, like a lot of the language you use to describe what happens to that little boy, like it's, it's pretty violence-laden language. And I think that's important um, in, in other authors and other writings we we hear about how our society views the assault, the sexual assault of boys, especially when it's by a woman. Um, it's like this way to go. You stud, you got it early kind of a thing. Um, or in this case with mother enmeshment, it's look at this perfect gentleman that I've raised. And I think that that recognizing this as an assault and recognizing as an intrusion and as a, a robbery of the self and the relationship with the father and all of that. I think that's really important for those men to understand um, otherwise they take what happened and they, they actually elevate it. Like I know how to be a really good gentleman. I've always been attentive to women. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're in, in an unsuspecting woman would not understand what she was getting herself into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and, 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 uh, and at some point she would have to be the one that he betrays. Not have yeah. to. There was no choice in it, but in a way it unfolds that way mm -hmm. almost all the time. Yeah. Now she becomes, she becomes the one he projects the blame onto, right? And and uh, assigns to her, uh, you're being too demanding, too intrusive. You know, we kind of started our discussion mm -hmm. with full circle, and now he has two fronts that's asking him to once again compromise himself. So he can't say no to his mother, right? He's still in cahoots over there with her. She's still calling him regularly, or maybe she's even deceased. And in his 
in his devotion to her in memory, he, he doesn't tamper with or dare tamper with the version that he she created or she yeah. So then the, then the unsuspecting woman gets his anger, rejection, abandonment, betrayal. Yeah. And, and causes a lot of problems in relationships. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm curious, as men start to grapple with this issue, like are there stages or levels of awakening that you kind of see them go through as they work on this issue? Well, you know, it's a good question. I don't know that I've looked at it that way. Um, I would say, let me just try my hand at it. I would say the first is to defend the mother. Mm-hmm. So the first time, so because here, here's the dilemma for the woman in the man's life. If she doesn't point it out, then, then she has to stay in the back seat of the relationship. Mm-hmm. If she does point it out, she becomes the nagging, quote-unquote, intrusive, controlling woman that he has to reject. These women are in a bind, which is what my, my new blog that I'm working on is talking about. Is what mm-hmm. a bind for them to be in. You know, they, on one hand, they don't dare not speak up, and they don't dare speak up. Right. Right? real difficult position for them. So um, assuming that's going to happen, and, and all the guys who come into my workshop, all of their partners have, have got them in the door, right? I mean, that's basically how they get, most of the time, most of the, about 75 to 85% have come in because of the partners. So the partner is saying, look it, you know, uh, I'm done with this. And usually it's uh, not uncommon for there to be a sexual addiction betrayal. Uh-huh. And now I know why, and you better take care of both of this. Otherwise, you know, I'm out of here. So that kind of, that's not uncommon. So that's a kind of an initial crisis stage, his reluctant willingness to say, well, maybe there was too much mommy here in my life. But then he spent some time defending her. And prior to that, before that crisis happens, there's a lot of fighting that can go on between partners in which he defends his mother and he blames the spouse or partner of being the one who's the problem. Not unlike we see with sex addiction. Mm-hmm. It's specific, you know. And sometimes if the mother's aging, the wife feels also concerned about the mother-in-law and feels in a bind uh, mm-hmm. about how do, where does my, what is my position, what should be my position? Yeah. With an aging uh, mother-in-law who might need some legitimate assistance from one who's demanding too much from my husband. So there's that initial phase of, long-term conflict, finally some crisis, a reluctant willingness to look. And then there can be a period of time of searching, the man searching, and eventually getting it and then confronting the relationship with the mother. And I say relationship because I don't mean it always is confronting the mother. It's confronting the way he organizes the relationship. No, I will not be taking your calls if you complain about my dad anymore. Okay. Mm-hmm. Happy to hear from you, but don't, don't I, no more are you going to be able to complain about my dad. That's off limits. Done. Unless he's dying in a hospital, I don't want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. So now there are some sharp edges. And so that creates now conflict with the mother. So we have mothers who take down pictures. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, so she, she divorces him. She, she banishes him. Uh-huh. So there's a period of guilt in now second-guessing. Even the wife might begin to second-guess. Right. But that would be the phase at which 
the really critical regular therapy work has to help him hold that. The mother's not going anywhere. Most mothers will at least reluctantly accommodate the new contract. Mm. Yeah. Because they yeah. don't want to, they don't want to lose the son no. relationship. No. So, and you know what? Let her, let her struggle. That's yeah. how it's her job to deal with the grief. It right. is her job to assist her with that grief. Right. It's a normal developmental thing for all parents. And, you know, I'm mm -hmm. a parent. You know, you guys are. I mean, it's just part of losing right. your to the world, right? Yep. Yeah. No way around that. And um, it's, it's, it's tough. You know, I've, I've got a 15-year-old son going on 25. And <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Now that's right. not right. <laughs> It's hard to watch me losing my place. Mm -hmm. And yet my job is to tolerate that. Yes. Well, other ways to be his consultant or, you know, a different role in his life. Right. So then, then you see eventually, and I'll get out of your way, eventually um, there will be some repair, we hope, with the, new, with the, the, the um, committed relationship in which the, they now begin to organize different rituals. So now their mm -hmm. holiday is spent with each other rather than running back to the family all the time. Uh -huh. Yeah. So maybe they do that the first and second year. Maybe they plan a trip when that, some people just don't, they're on home on the holidays. That's one, that's one yeah. strategy, right? It's just, we're not here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're going to be in you know, the Bahamas if it's still standing, you know, or wherever. <laughs> We're not here over Christmas, so you you won't see us this Christmas. They buy time. They separate diplomatically and politically, and they create distance. And they let they let the mother and the family deal with that. The other thing that will happen is the surrogates of the mother will begin to pester, and oh, the, yeah. yep. the sister, the brothers, the, the sister-in-laws, the brothers-in-laws, the, the father. Mm. <laughs> they'll start. They'll start politicking with the mother and mesh match. That's another phase you have to be mindful of. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Our phases. John, now that you asked. No, I was, was going to say, when you were talking about your experience with your son earlier, you, you said it's the parent's job is to celebrate that change as they're grieving the loss. Um, and just as I'm listening to you talk about how these men uh, heal from enmeshment and come out, like there really is that mixture of grief and relief um, that I think is so inherent in how all of us develop and evolve. Um, and uh, I, I think that's a, I think the term that I've heard before is joy pain um, that comes along with just becoming full-fledged human beings. Yeah, for sure. Nice to yeah. Well, and it's easier to do as a parent to grieve that loss of your child as they become an adult when you have a relationship that, that, that is healthy that you can, you know, now we have time to do things together and that looks differently sure. um, versus yeah. I'm a single parent or I'm in a really dysfunctional marriage and I'm afraid to be left alone with my spouse when the kids leave. A, a relationship that's not dependent on your child remaining a child. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Ken, how can people find you? And if they uh, feel like they need one of these workshops, how do they get involved with that? Uh, probably the easiest way is just go to my website. Uh, the, and that's uh, the easiest 
way to get there is Dr. Ken Adams, drkenadams.com, www.drkenadams.com. Great. And we'll put that in the show notes uh, as well as some links to your books and, and your work. We, we really appreciate uh, you coming on the show and, and uh, sharing what you do. This is valuable stuff. Yeah, thank you. Good to talk with you. You're welcome. Nice, nice conversation. Thanks for having me. So at the end of another episode, we want to remind you that your story matters. And remember, you don't have to wait until your story is finished to share it with us. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, www. Nope, that's not our Facebook page. Healing Paths, Healing Paths Inc. is the Facebook page or at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. Thanks. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I'm learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to, re- to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.